Hello, and welcome to Derbs Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of the end. Fast and Furious X, the beginning of the trilogy that will end this series, apparently. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this Fast and Furious podcast. On the fa- on this Fast and Furious podcast, okay, we talk about all of the Fast and Furious movies. We don't talk about anything else. We don't waste our time with video games, okay? Or like stupid Marvel movies. No, we only talk about family, okay? Oh my god. Okay, so I don't know. It it's here. It happened. I'm freaking out about it. I feel like it is. It, it, the the momentousness of it really hit me last week where i was just like damn this is huge like this is this is big it's happening um and then i saw it and i was like that was that was big that happened um i will it's not my favorite i don't think it's better than f9 f9 remains my my sort of pinnacle and you know, some of the others, right? Like Fast Five, you know, Fury Six. I feel like it's kind of like better than those. But it is better than what I would call sort of the worst entries in the franchise. Um, most notably, Fate of the Furious, right? Which I think is, um, you know, in the in this modern era, it's the worst of those. Um, and, uh, and and sort of like... So it, it, it strikes me as sort of this like middle of the, you know, middle of the pack. Um, it is quite a lot of movie. There is just a lot that happens uh, on... On screen, it goes a million different places. I think that sort of tears it a little at the seams. Um, and I get that same sort of feeling I had in Fate of the Furious where, you know, it, it sort of had the worst of what was happening in Fate of the Furious and, um, and Fast and Furious 6 where the team gets fractured and everyone's resolving these little plot cul-de-sacs. Um, and there's these competing tones in some of those different sort of like plot threads. Um, but a truly bonkers performance from Jason Momoa. Oh, yeah. Really saved that, like saved it for me and kind of held the whole thing together. He was doing something else. He's out, he was doing something else. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as well as some, you know, like, I think that there's a lot of little stuff in here that I like a lot, right? Which kind of elevates it kind of above there. So, you know, I don't know. That's sort of where, that's sort of where I'm at at it. Probably better than Furious, like, right around where Furious 7 is in my mind, right? Better than Furious 7. Um, worse than, worse than, you know, 9, 5, and 6. Interesting. Um, I think... I would agree with most of that. The only caveat I'd add is I'm going to reserve Final Judgment until we have the trilogy in front of us, right? This feels like this feels like a movie that could be retroactively made greater or lesser based on what comes in the comes in the future, right? Like this is a setup sure. movie. It pretty clearly is a setup movie. There are obviously <laughs> the victories and failures along the way and defeats along the way. Um Weirdly, it feels very, um, you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much, so I won't say too much, but there's a movie I want to draw, I want to compare this to like The Fellowship of the Ring in a, in a couple weird ways. Um, uh, in, oh in, my. <laughs> yeah, just think this thing about that while we head towards the spoiler section. But I would say, um, you know, if you're a fan of the series, 
go watch this movie. I think I agree with Buddy that this is um, not the worst movie, but not the best either. But it will, it will ultimately live or die by its follow-up. But to what I said last week, which was basically that, like, this movie has to jump the shark harder, kind of. Um, I think it has not failed on that yet. And I don't think like, I think it has done the setup. I think it's done some stuff that is is pretty wild that I think really fo- follows in with that. And I think I think it, it kind of like is riding the line in the way that you wanted it, or it does the thing you described, where it fo- it's focused. This is about Dom and his family primarily, but they're still like yep. making the external stakes pretty high. And I think that that works. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the rest of it, I guess. Um, but uh, I think that's about all I'll say before we get to the spoiler section. Did you want to have anything else you wanted to talk about before we got to the spoiler warning? Uh, no, I think that's uh, I think that's a pretty good summation of sort of of sort of where I'm at, and I want to talk a lot about spoiler stuff. So let's just get into it. Yeah. All right. So spoiler warning for Fast and Furious. What is the formal title of this movie? Is it Fast X Furious? Fast X. Yeah, it's Fast, Fast X. X. Spoiler warning for Fast X, also probably for every other film in the series, because um, uh, as a as a kind of end cap, there are lots of callbacks, so, you know, warning's all there. If you would like to see this movie before we talk about it, I would recommend going and seeing it and po- stopping this podcast and going and listening to it later. Um, but that's every th- that's uh, your spoiler warning. So, let's get into it. What do you want to talk about first? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I don't, so, I think the best thing in this movie is Jason Momoa. Maybe I'll start there. Maybe I'll start there. Um, Jason Momoa is doing this truly unhinged thing that is captivating and compelling and threatening. I was sort of actually, to be honest, um, I've had this weird, I feel like this is the opposite of what normally I feel like. Most of the time I feel like I walk into a movie, I'm generally on board and the movie sort of loses me over time, right? When I think about... You know, when I think about movies that I don't particularly like or I'm not particularly into, uh, like maybe some of the recent Marvel movies would be like a good example of this. I'm, I'm kind of on board for maybe like the first hour, but things kind of just unravel at a certain point. And I'm just like, Ugh, okay, I'm out. Um, weirdly, Fast X kind of had the opposite, where I was sort of a little shaky in my foundation Um at first, and I wasn't sure what I wanted, like where it was going. Kind of in the first, like I don't know, it just hit me in the wrong way. It had, it kind of had a bad first impression, um, but it ended up sort of building me back over time. Um, and a lot of that is that I kind of didn't like Jason Momoa's introduction, like the way that he introduced himself um, with this whole thing with you know stealing Cipher's crew and all of that stuff. Um, but I quite liked it when he showed up in action right um and he's kind of doing this like oh it like weirdly the joker he's like kind of doing a the joker thing right of just like an absolutely unhinged madman um who's doing shtick at the same time that he's like blowing people up that kind of thing um and i don't know that just like it, it really connected and is maybe the thing that holds this movie together for me the most, right? I maybe would probably, like, if even Jason Momoa was medium good, right, was just kind of fine, right? Like any other, you know, like, Shaw was sort of like this in Furious 7, right? Um, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He was just, he just kind of brought a certain level of flair to the, to the, to what was going on. And then, and that was it, right? 
Um, but because Jason Momoa was doing something that was compelling, it held things together more than I would otherwise have thought, right? And I probably would be complaining a lot more in this in this section of the podcast. <laughs> Fair. No, um, I think so. Uh, I, the term I have heard used, and I think it's appropriate, is Jason Momoa was chewing the scenery like no other. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, I was a little – initially, I was a little wary because he was doing – like, I didn't know how to feel about kind of, like, going between, like, the Joker shtick and, like, the kind of, like, deadly serious, you killed my father and you took my life from me and I will kill, make you suffer, right? Like, he, like, kind of, like, flips between the two, but I think ultimately – works i at least think it's fun when he's chewing the scenery so i'm willing to forgive it uh on 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 that level right and it's just also like you know um as i've said this is a fast and furious movie right it's not the end of the world to me if the character isn't the most uh most artfully done and is more just kind of like uh you know uh is more about the raw emotion so i i i I get that um but yeah i think I, i think i agree i um i thought jason momoa was fun um, and a movie that, like, le- like these movies, like, have a level of fun to them. It's kind of, like, absent in this one because it is mostly kind of like a downer setup movie. Um, and Jason Momoa brings a lot of that. Um, I also, like, Roman has only ever gotten worse for me over the series, and he's the other general source of levity, right? Like, um, I just think that, like, the the... That their whole that trio's whole side like uh, side plot uh, or B plot was just like wholly uninteresting. Like you said, it's kind of plot cul de sac y. Oh, ca- interesting. I okay. I, yeah, I'm sure. Um, uh, and uh, like you know the 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 stars of that part of the movie are like Han and Shaw. Even though Shaw's the movie for yep. like a whole grand total of like you know three minutes. Um, whereas like you know. Tej and Roman and what's what's the girl's name? Ramsey. Ramsey. Um, they're they're kind of like vague kind of side characters, comic relief, and, and they feel kind of marginalized in their own in, in their own kind of like plot line, which is like. Um, yeah, I don't like the plot cul-de-sac, but I do like the characters and what they're doing. Right? Um, there's real moments, it, it, and uh, you know, the, the first thing I thought of, I was like, I wish Justin Lin directed this because I feel like he would have nailed this in a way that really would have gotten to me, right? Uh, But there are real moments of sort of humanity um, to all of them, right? Uh, One where Roman expresses real regret at kind of getting everybody like pulled into this and Tej is the one who's kind of like, actually, you know, you're doing a really good job. Uh, A moment where where Ramsey talks about how the technology that she created is what is being used to hunt them. And she hates that, right? And she feels this kind of level of responsibility um, for it. Uh, I really loved that. Um, you know, I just think that there was, I don't know, there, there was like a seriousness to their characters that like unwound some of the flanderization, if that makes sense, uh, that I appreciated quite a lot. Um, yeah, I was- But I do think the actual plot business of what they were doing was plot called Aseki, and I hated that. I, I just don't know if I buy that, like, Roman, like, earned his kind of, like, you know, redemption moment. It feels just kind of like, and when in a movie, the character who is not taking responsibility takes responsibility. And this is a good character moment, TM, right? And it felt like that was kind of what was happening with Roman. Um, uh, I also just kind of, like, some of the stuff, like, you know, the Pete Davidson cameo was literally 
just a Pete Davidson cameo, right? Like, um, because they're like, I know a guy. I'm like, oh, they're going to go to Shaw. And then they went to Pete Davidson to absolutely no end. Um, just, and like, you know, there were things, they were like weirdly unfired Chekhov's guns. Like they ate like psychedelic muffins and like, apparently all that happened was Han got swimming vision for like 15 seconds. And that was like the entire like fallout of that. Right. Like it, like that, it felt like you just cut those minutes from the movie and it wouldn't have been a problem. Right. Like yep. that kind of thing. Um, uh, I did like, I liked, I think I liked John Cena and little Brian, um, uncle, uncle Jacob and, and little Brian. I thought those scenes were, good i i'm sure you have this experience too of like driving down the five and like like the miles of nothing right like um yeah they I, played uh they played a song i really love the far side Do you know who the far side are no there's like a there's like a whole underground hip-hop movement that happens in the 90s or whatever but the song when they pull into the gas station is a song that's on like a lot of my like playlists or whatever it's called passing me by it's very famous um but that, but that band, I think the far side is from Oakland. Um, that makes but sense. But they, uh, now I want to like look this up because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I think the far side is from Oakland, um, and then they went to South Central Los Angeles and kind of um, and kind of became this like underground sensation. They're they're the kind of like you know when um, <coughs> at the same time like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre are blowing up in the nineties. The far side. No, they are actually just from Los Angeles. Okay, uh, but it was a very LA moment, which felt true to the series in a way that it that was like good, right? Um, you know, uh, especially because he's talking about this car, this wistful car from the '90s that he really loves, or whatever, and he has like a little tape deck, like all of that. Really, th that really worked for me. Excellent. Yeah. No. Um. That made that made uh, sense to. I, I, I get that. Um and I just I just thought it was fun, right? Like the, the kind of like, you know, John Cena and a kid go on an adventure. Um I was actually ex kind I feel like the the moment where he like goes to the truck and it's not his truck, right? Um I initially thought this was gonna be like, oh, and this is where Hobbs shows up because Uncle Uncle jo Jacob and, you know, uh and other Uncle The Rock, right? Like Uncle Hobbs are going to like have a muscle man competition um but that didn't happen sadly um and in fact i think it kind of turned into a dig at at the muscle car at the rock muscle car thing right like this feels like this feels like this was shot before they got the rock to agree to be in the movie um mm -hmm. uh so uh but you know i thought it was still uh I, I, I really enjoyed it i was kind of sad to see john cena or to see uncle jacob die but i also don't know if I believe that that's real. Um, I also don't know that I believe that that's real, um, but we'll see, I guess. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that it is real just because... It could be. The, the movie is so overstuffed, right? Um, but it also felt like... like I don't know. It, feel, it, it is either a bait and switch or the moment doesn't really land depending on whether or not that it's real because even at the mo even at the time i was like wait is he really dead or is that like i don't know it was just the, like that there was some stuff there that was kind of confusing um i i in general liked the ending of the movie and the ending actually kind of saved that uncle you know nephew plot line um 
there was a while where I was getting the whiplash that I was getting in Furious 8 or, Fast, or Fate of the Furious with The Rock's stuff doing shtick versus Vin Diesel's stuff where he's doing, you know, super sincere stuff. Um, but the, the kind of plot twist at the end of the movie that actually what Dante has been after this whole time is the kid, right? Um, because he wants to kill Dom's kid in front of him, basically. Um, that is, that would like help sell it all together, right? Because you have, because, because the, the setup is so wistful, it kind of makes the stakes higher because right. you get this reversal of, oh, now shit is going, you know, like now shit is going down, right? And during the climax of the movie, like not only is shit going down there, but it's going down everywhere, right? The plane carrying the other people is shot down. There's the stuff with Ames, which I really loved. Um, there's the stuff with Ames where he's actually been working with Dante the whole time. Um, Letty's out of the picture. Uh, you know, Hobbs isn't, is, is out of the picture. It is truly just Dom and Brian alone on this damn facing off against Dante, who does, who has lived up to the hype essentially of being this mastermind villain who has like pulled off this, uh, you know, crazy, uh, this like whole crazy thing. Right. Um, that, that's where it all kind of came together for me. Uh, I think I would probably be complaining about that plotline if it was executed in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, there, there's parts of this, too, where, like, I'm not going – I'm actively not going to think about it because there's no point. It's a Fast and Furious movie. Um, sure. Where, like, I am sure that if I picked – if I, like, went through this, I could be, like, n like some, some of Ames' actions don't make sense in the scheme of this. Like, that, I don't know that because, like I said, I'm actively not thinking about this, right, um, unless you're, like like – uh, these twists tend to not work when you can pick them apart, but because it's a movie where I don't care about picking it apart, it'll work for me, right? Like, it, it, Ironically, it, I actually do think, I mean, I don't know, I ha also haven't spent a lot of time in it, but something that did hit me in a weird way, I was like, why the fuck, like, I remember thinking this, I was like, why is the agency going after a kid, right? Um, you know, like this, this little kid, because there's this whole fight scene with uh mia and jacob at the house at the fast and furious house um and i appreciated that it answered that question right which is that oh ames has actually been evil this whole time and when jacob was able to to get brian away from them um that was good right that was a that was like a good moment uh for the team and it was a bad moment for ames and he had to and like they had to improvise and come up with a new plan that felt sure. like that that felt good I, I guess i haven't thought about any of the other details um but i don't know the the, the execution of the twist villain worked for me is i guess yeah. really the you know, as an emotional you know, beat it, it worked um i yeah, think what detracts absolutely. from it is like you know like i could believe that uncle jacob's dead i do not believe that roman tej and ramsey are dead um yeah uh sure um, the moment of them going down in the plane was important because it yep. was this like everything is falling down around you. I don't think it was good in the sense of like I'm all of you, I'm killing all of you. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. that doesn't sell to me. But I also think that it shouldn't, right? In the same way that like with BVS for instance, you know that Superman is coming back or whatever. Um it's okay for the story to sort of include death as a way to you know, communicate things to characters rather than yeah. to try and hit you with the impact of somebody dying. Um, 
And it's the same sort of thing, right? I also don't believe that Roman, Tej, uh, Han, and Shaw are all dead because that would be awful. Um, Han and or Shaw isn't on the plane. He's uh, he's going to save his mom. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I you're right. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I um, like the the thing that like I don't again it it doesn't really bother me. But the thing I would point out is like they basically have a lot of leeway to like decide which aspects of this thing that is happening is intentional or not. Right. Like you could, you could like, as long as they don't make a claim that everything they did was on purpose, then you can be like, Oh, they had to, like you said, they had to improvise here. Right. Cause they screwed up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree that the, the twist is well done. I, I could also like, just to bring, go back to the Jacob thing for a second. Like I could see a point in the second or third movie where like, one of the ways that, like, Jason Momoa, um, like, puts the, like, you know, gets leverage against Dom again is, like, he's got Jacob and he's, like, you know, uh, hurt. But, you know, he's 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 been captured by, um, been captured by, uh, what's Jason Momoa's character's name again? Dante. Dante, Great right, name. yes. Dante, yes. What a, what a perfect villain yeah. name. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, is that he's been captured by, by Dante. Um. Uh, uh, but you know, that's, that's, I could believe even like, I could see it go either way. And I think, I think Jacob's death is credible enough to hit, hit in the right way. Um, uh, uh, I did, I, I think John Cena hit the right kind of emotional cadence, right? Like like the very sincere, cool uncle is kind of the vibes I was getting from him. And I think that that works with the, with the plot better than, you know, like, Hobbs' shtick, right? Like as, as mm-hmm. we've talked about before. So I, I liked I liked Uncle Jacob's character in the movie, um, and he also brings kind of like a different flavor, right? Like he he's like the spy man rather than like the cars, you know, like the purely cars guy. Um, yeah, I will say that is part of my disappointment with the movie. Uh, really, outside of the first big chase in Rome, which I did like a lot. Mm. Um, like I said, this is the kind of the move where the movie picked me up, right? The first however many minutes I was I was off and then it, Rome happened and I was like, okay, cool, we're back, we're back sort of in it. There's really just sort of two car things that happen, right? There's Rome, there's a little bit in Brazil, um, and then there's uh, the final chase kind of, the whole thing in Portugal. Uh, Rome was sweet. Rome was cool, though I didn't love everything about it, um, and I didn't super like the end. I felt like it mostly felt like not confident is probably the way that I would I would put it. It felt like the thing that the director really wanted to do was hand-to-hand fight stuff, right? The traditional kind of action movie stuff, which makes sense. You know, he has this traditional action movie uh, sort of... Uh, bona fides, uh, that's that's fine or whatever. But it that is one of the things that has always been a headliner for me about the the Fast and Furious movies is they are car people doing car things, yeah. and that's what's cool about them, right? Um, and there's a lot to love of that, uh, especially in F9, right? Um, you know, they have the whole thing with the beast. You know, that's real. It's all practical. I always ju- I always gush about the stuff that they're doing that, that's that's practical. Um, you know, Fast X just didn't have a lot of that, and so it felt the most... Uh, you, you know what, actually? I can't believe I'm going to make this reference. It sort of didn't feel like a Fast and Furious movie in the same way that you talk about 
the last the Jedi. last Jedi not being a Star Wars movie, right? Like this is a an action movie set in the Fast and Furious universe with Fast and Furious characters, but it is not a Fast and Furious movie, right? Um, because you know one of the things this series focuses on, um, you know, are the cars, are the stunts, and that focus wasn't there for this one. Um, there's some stuff that I did like. All things considered, uh, you know, when it, when it came to that, like, I think it's cool, the the thing that Dom did with the two helicopters, sure. <coughs> um, I think chasing the mine, the, this runaway mine going through Rome was also cool, even though I kind of thought the end of that whole chase scene was pretty dumb. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, there's just not as much here as I want in one of these films, and... Uh, what are you gonna do? You know? Yeah. No, I I, I get it. I I uh, tentatively agree. Um, yeah. I'll I'll give I'll give you a a solid. I will say that by by the way, on the the flip side of this is that I do think the action itself was pretty good. Um, for instance, the fight scene with um John Cena and Mia in the Fast and Furious house was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, is maybe the best action outside of Hobbs and Shaw, which I do think is still the best, best action, um, just in terms of like, you know, like fights or whatever like that. Um, mostly because there's a real, there's a real eye for geography that I really appreciated. Normally sort of what happens in these movies, by the way, this also kind of appeals to the, to the, uh, to the driving as well. But normally what sort of happens in these movies is you get a lot of, um, uh, you, you're, you're kind of in the, the eye of the action and you're just sort of following it, but you don't really, you're not really keeping track of where the action is and people are appearing and, and kind of falling away in random sorts of ways. Right. So like in furious seven, they're fighting in Los Angeles, but I don't have a sense of the geography of Los Angeles, the geography of that fight. Right. Um, with Rome, there, there's very clear geography, right? There's this, there's this clear thing, kind of swooping down into the Vatican, um, and um, St. Peter's Square, I think, is what they're, you know, like they're aiming for or whatever. Um, and it, it really helps you understand what's happening. Oh, this mine is rolling downhill towards this thing, right? And the, you know, and the crew need to stop that from happening. And you're kind of watching that play out in a, in a macro sort of sense, which is pretty different. Um, uh, or, or stuff like <sighs> Mia gets one of the guys to shoot a gun at the ceiling in the house. And then John Cena throws a guy down into the floor and it's where that ceiling happens. And so he falls through the ceiling like that stuff. I think all of that stuff works pretty well and is worthy of compliments, I guess. I agree. No, I, 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 I absolutely agree. Um, uh, I thought, I thought that like, I, I agree with you. I thought that scene was good. Um, I, I guess I, I get what you're saying about the car stuff. I thought I, I remember being I was a little ticked off that kind of like the traditional race was like cut off by like the uh, like I think it works as a character moment that like Jason Momoa ruins the race by by yeah. like bombing the other two of the cars right. Um, but uh, it, it also kind of like just like oh they cut out the race part of the the car movie right because you know. Um, or they, they, they kind of like cut it short, but I, I get it, right? Like that—that that is the way you do, the, like the the way you kind of like subvert subvert expectations, right? Like I know that that, that phrase can be a little bit loaded, uh, especially given the, the comparisons to the Last Jedi. But like you know, the expectation is just like you know, you know, uh, 
he is going to do a race and it's going to, you know, he's going to win the race and it's going to be good, right? Like, you know, he's going to get some minor victory that way. And Jason Moe just refuses to play by the rules and like fucks everything up. And I think that works from a tonal, from a tonal point. But that's why I think that, you know, the, we need the other two movies to kind of like make, make the whole thing make sense, right? Like we need, we need, we need the whole, the whole vision of what this looks like. Um, Cause it could, it could fall on its ass or it could, it could land it. And I'm, I'm obviously hoping that it lands it. Yeah. The, the thing about the race that frustrated me is we've seen actually that you can do races that are suspenseful in this, in, you know, in these films, right? Um, there are races in other ones. There are races in this era, right? In, in Furious 6, there's, there's a street race with, with Dom and Letty. And it's like, Dom, and, and you know, that's a character moment. It's Dom and Letty flirting or whatever. But the race itself is still, you know, like interesting and, and fun. Uh, there's the race in 2 that I like a lot, Too Fast, Too Furious, where you were actually getting the strategy where Brian and Roman are doing the tag team race against the other two guys. And Brian wins that race because he makes this bold choice to play the game of chicken. And like, it's like, the the movies figured out very quickly that just having two cars going in a straight line is really boring, right? right. And it's not a fun way to 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 do racing scenes, right? So as much as I guess I appreciated the throwback, because uh, there were a couple of them that made me think it was intentional, right? Um, the most notable of which was the CGI zoom in to the, the engine. to the engine, which was back, which frankly blew my mind in a just, I, I feel like I could do a whole podcast on just that as like a moment because it is sort of brain breaking that that moment um but but you know that stuff aside um the it it was weird to to kind of go back to this thing with with the race and just have it be the most boring way to stage a race possible well it's because it's because it's not actually the it's not actually they're not actually doing the race right they're like yeah. The thing that always happens... But, I mean, you can do a thing where you plant mines on these characters as they're doing a real race through Rio, right? You know, like doing a real street race through Rio with twists and turns and not this, like, you know, quarter-mile drag strip thing. Okay. No, I, <coughs> I, I see what you're saying. Um, I think I think it being short is what sells that, like, Dom couldn't do anything about it, right? Like, you know, like, okay. like again, whenever one of these races happens... Um, like Dom, like, like I think like the the kind of thesis of Dante, right, is like you know, um, Dom wins at car things, and so Dante is hitting at him by not doing car things, right, and um, as much as like and and you know, and Dante has absolutely no honor, whereas like everybody, like, pre any previous villains that like face Dom on the track right have honor right at some level right like any, anybody yeah. he, he's raced against like you know are at least willing to acknowledge the fact that dom beat them fair and square J like i think this is part of, this is actually a thing that I, I think works is like not only does jason momoa cheat he has the temerity to then say that like he beat dom in a street race right like oh yeah yeah right. this is part of this uh, this is part of the stuff that makes it so good right and he says it to brian he says you know i beat your dad at a street race, race yeah. right like yeah <laughs> like you know it's and I, I think i think it works on an emotion level even if if you're i think you're right like it's not the i think it wouldn't 
I think if the overall movie was a little bit stronger, it wouldn't stick out as much as kind of like a sore point. Um, but I mm-hmm. think I think it is the right execution of that particular moment. Um, okay, you know what? Sure, I do like that moment to be fair, because yeah. uh, it is a reversal, or it is both a callback and a reversal of the traditional thing. Yeah, the thing that Dom did was what he went to a street race when. I think it was Hobbs who was after him, right? And Hobbs shows up and Dom does this thing where he says, you know, like, this is Brazil. And all the people draw their guns at Hobbs and his crew in order to get them to back off or whatever. And having an echo of that happen where, you know, uh, Dante says that mockingly to Dom was really great. And I, and I liked all of that sort of, like, interaction. Um, I also just, like, like there's something about this, like, weird Jason Momoa aesthetic that is that is my favorite thing. Like, like what the fuck was he doing with his hair there? I don't know. But he's just wild. And yeah. It's like letting your, fi- your five-year-old dress himself or something. You know what I mean? It's just like, what are you doing? But it's also in- innately compelling in a way that I couldn't possibly, you know explain yeah i mean and i I, you get a sense that he's like actually like out of his gourd right because like the scene with like where he's like doing mimosas with the two dead tech guys right like i loved that (laughs) but like like if like that's that's not for anybody right like it's not like it's not like this is an act he's putting on to like freak somebody out like that is just him Right in that scene, like the, the the camera is not a person, right? Like there's and there's nobody else alive in the scene. It's just him being fucking out of his gourd. Um, yeah. Apparently, they almost cut that scene, which would have been a huge mistake. I'm glad they kept it. And also, apparently, I, I did a little bit of research because I wanted to see if I like I could figure some stuff out. Um, and also, a lot of what Jason Momoa was doing was improvised because he was trying to make Vin Diesel break in the scenes. He was trying to like, Get him to he laugh. was like, yeah, like things like calling him a butthole, um, which I also really loved. Like that was improv, right? So there's just like, there's apparently just like a lot of that where he was trying to get Vin Diesel to break into, and apparently he never did, which is kind of funny <laughs> yeah. in just like a meta sense. Like, you know, because I keep talking about how fucking seriously Vin Diesel takes these stupid fucking car movies, and that extends even outside of, you know, like the realm or whatever. But like, I don't know. All, all of that stuff, I think, I think worked well. I liked the backstory that kind of got uncovered there. Um, I liked that Elena had this sort of sister, though I was depressed that she didn't join the crew for about a second before, you know, she kind of became this MacGuffin, right? Yeah. Um, there's that whole um, there's that whole shootout thing that happens on the bridge. The bridge I also was was a little depressed by because I was hoping for that to be like a more real sort of action, uh, like car a more real car scene. It was basically just like a normal action scene, right? Um, but that was cool stuff, right? Like the, like Dom flipping the car in order to shoot the guy with it was pretty great. Um, I don't know. There's just like a lot. There's a lot to love in in yeah. in this movie. Um, I, I, I want to say that something I really liked was like the way Jason Momoa and Ames pa- dressed in the past, like that kind of like, you know, that era or like that, that kind of like style, like, you know, the, the suits with like the V neck, uh, the V neck thing, right? Like that, that was super fun. Um, you know, that's like, that's like a thing that I would like want to cosplay at some point and have to wear. <laughs> I loved it. I, the, the Ames's look was great. Um, cause he has those, um, 
whatever they are, it's like it's like a it's like the straps of like a gun holster. I don't even think he had a holster, but it's like a whatever. I like think a it was shoulder. Suspe- were they just suspenders? <coughs> were they? They I might have been. Whatever that looks, that's a great look. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that look. Yeah. Um. Uh. What else? Um. Uh. So before we get to 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 one of the things I want to talk about, I do want to like, um. I was not a huge fan of like the Letty Cipher, like once they get like it's the worst one. Yeah, um, like once they get out of the beds, like that fight scene just felt contrived. Um, like, and it, she was like, "We have like four minutes," and then like she climbs up the shaft and has enough time to come back down, and like there's still nothing there, right? Like that, it feels like that storyline was like jumbled and dropped in the ground and nonsensical, and I didn't particularly like it. I feel like that storyline has something to do with like. Maybe Michelle Rodriguez like filming another movie or something. Oh, it, is, this is maybe like the female so strange. Like this is maybe like a cutscene from the female led Fast Project or something. Oh, I actually didn't think about that, but maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I don't know. That was that was the worst thing, right? That that was the most plot called Saki. It went literally nowhere. Right, you know, the only thing that really happened was the very, very final reveal, which is when the sub comes up and Giselle is. Told you, told you, we didn't see her die. Oh, oh also, I, uh, I knew, I knew it was going to happen the moment Dom said to Han that fatherhood is like the best thing in the world, right? Because like Han's whole thing is he said that Giselle's dead, right? Like they're gonna have babies by the end of this trilogy. How are they gonna get back together? I don't know. Neither of them are like Han is not dead. No. I understand, but like, how if you're Han, right? You are so depressed that you go to Tokyo or whatever, right? Like, how the whole thing is that they love each other, right? She literally died for him, right? But but she didn't actually die. There's got to be a better answer to to this. Well, I mean, they're going to have kids by the end. Like, I don't care if it doesn't make sense on an intellectual level, right? Like, that is what is going to happen, right? Like. Um, or they're going to like she's going like they're going to like she's going to be pregnant in like the end scene or something right like um, because like the the moment he mentioned it I thought I thought there was maybe a chance that Han finds somebody else to like love right like he gets over Giselle right but that's that's like now that Giselle's back it's not going to happen right they're they're going to get there happily ever after because like they were the best couple in the in the series or something right like you know. Um, uh, I don't know. I love Han. By the way, I do want to say I loved Han in this. Um, it beautiful Han action, and he had great stuff. I've loved the drugs thing. I know the drugs thing was dumb. I know it was okay. But Han's thing is the snacks. He eats mm. snacks. He's constantly eating these fucking snacks, and so the the thing that he accidentally gets this like shitty muffin or whatever and starts tripping. That was just it was funny. It was just funny, and I really loved it. And I loved his fight scene with Shaw. Right, um, the stuff I with did. Shaw was interesting because, like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to feel about it. Right, like the the retcon to Han being alive is so not dwelled upon that you don't even know is Shaw in on it. Is Shaw Shaw did try and kill him? No, he he, he absolutely. Did. That's that's why they get into a fight, right? Like Shaw, like this is supposed to, I think, be a moment of badassery for Shaw, right? Like, like this is like the equivalent of like Han showing up, seeing Darth Vader, and just shooting, right? Like, um, this is like like Han shows up and he's not like, "How are you alive?" He's like, 
if you're alive, that means you're here for revenge, and they just start fighting, right? Like, so I, so yes, I, I'm on board with, I'm on board with that, right? It's just like the, I don't know. There's just something about the, there's just something about that that I like. I didn't have the proper context to really root me in it or whatever. Uh, but I, but I generally really like the action scene. This is another one where the the geography is really good, right? Because yeah. you have the alley, you have the door into this thing, and then you have Shaw's garage, um, and. Uh, and that was all set up in such a way that you really knew where all of the fighting was taking place, and you could cut from inside the building to outside the building, and it made and it, it made a lot of sense, which I really like. This is the stuff that I think was best about the action, um, and um, and I also just like the way that they fought together. I don't. Know, I feel like maybe it's just that I like Jason Statham as an action star. Yeah, I no, think maybe you know he is uh, like you know he's kind of he has this Jackie Chan I do my own stunts thing. Um, which maybe makes it like work better than some of the other, <coughs> than some of the other you know people doing stuff. Um, I don't know, but that that's maybe my favorite of the of the um, of the action scenes. Uh, and I loved this is the final detail that I loved, and I'm mad we didn't get a thing for it. Okay, <sighs> God, I'm so mad we didn't get a thing for it. I loved that he had a replica of his brother's car from. Fast and Furious 6. That is the biggest Chekhov's fucking gun that did not go off that pissed me off so bad. I was so sure. I have been talking about this stupid ramp, ramp car, car yeah. every every episode since Fast 6 because I think it's so fucking cool. And I was so ready for it to show up. And I was like, the, when they were doing the thing on the Portugal, I was like, 100% it's happening. Because they're being trailed by all of these cars. They they set up this unending mercenary army. And it's like, oh, this is perfect. You have now established that there are a gazillion fucking cars that you can just ramp flip over and over and over again. And it's going to be so fucking cool. Right. And they just didn't and they just didn't do it. Um Yeah, I I have hope. The ramp car is in the plane with them that got shut down. So I have hope that the ramp car will show up in Furious Eleven, Fast and F- Fast Eleven, no, whatever it's, it's going it's, to be. It's, it's ten two, right? This is, we're in Final Fantasy <laughs> numbering t- terms now. Yeah, uh, the thing I think that they might actually do. Well, I don't know. What we could we could talk about some of the speculation stuff. Uh, I don't know. We I guess we could talk about it now. Do you do you, what 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 else do you want to talk about? Um, thing just some quick hits, right? Like uh, sure. on the on the Giselle thing, right? Beyond, I called it the other thing that appear, that that I thought about was um. Uh, you know, do you like the thing that crossed my mind is like she obviously was filmed separately from everybody else. I'm like, did she like do that and the Shazam appearance in the same day? Um, <laughs> um, and uh, what were were there any other quick hits? Um, uh, oh, um, I was I'm going to take a half point on Paul Walker coming back because like they like they they like did the, like the blurry thing for like half a second in the beginning when in, in the past right, and then they also reused previous footage right like um i think i'm gonna take a half point of that and i think we might get a full appearance at some point um i'm less confident in that now just because they did do something with him right um uh we did not get the transformer moment um (laughs) either way um uh what else um i will yeah no um Oh, uh, I guess the only other thing is, is I think they did the Hobbs moment pretty well for like what I'm pretty like I'm I'm confident now was kind of like 
after they shot the movie, they got The Rock on board and they did a post credit scene. But I think that was that was the right way to do the post credit scene for the you know for Hobbs, right? Like have him show up and then have him drop a one liner, right? Like you know, yeah, the, his specific one liner. He calls him a some bitch because he does that all the all the time in these movies. I absolutely love that. My hope, by the way, this is part of my speculation. My hope is that Fast Eleven is actually less about Dom and more about Hobbs. I kind of think you could make a really compelling movie out of kind of the B team in a way, right? Um, what you could do is you could sort of, um, you know, the stuff with, with, uh, the stuff with Dom ends on this cliffhanger, right? Uh, but there's all these, there's all these like kind of loose ends, but I really like the idea that Dom is not, a, not in 11 all that much, um, that a lot of what happens, what is happening in 11 is, Hobbs driven um, and that can include stuff like stuff from Hobbs and Shaw this is my big called shot I think they are going to make references to Hobbs and Shaw in 11 oh, I, think, I, um, think, I think you're right I, I think I think at some point that that loose end is going to get wrapped up um, like because they like hint that like there's more there um, but yeah um, yeah I think Dante um, is uh, is pretty perfect to tie into all of that thing, all of that stuff, because the thing at the biotech firm was like, um, the thing at the biotech firm was like a guy from Hobbs's past, right? Um, so that's my that's that's kind of my my culture with this stuff. But I actually think that it would really serve the movie well if they if you know, sort of the main character of Eleven is Hobbs and the conceit is rescuing Dom, right? Figuring out maybe what happened to Dom, right? Like the idea that the crew all think maybe he's dead. Maybe yeah. maybe Dante did it. He blew up the dam, right? But Hobbs is the one who is simultaneously being pursued by Dante. Dante's coming after him, right? But he's also trying to track down the clues of like, Maybe Dom didn't actually die on that dam and they were able to get out alive, which obviously we do know that they were able to get out alive, right? The big thing is, you know, they drove they drove off the dam or whatever. But I think that that would well, be we, a really... We don't know like, that he's gotten out of life, right? Like, like that's the question. That's true. Right? Like, so, yeah. so I'm going to call my shot. I'm going to be a little bit more specific. I think the opening of the movie is everybody's going to presume that Dom and Brian are dead, right? And the movie is going to be the crew, um, maybe, maybe not including... Um, like, uh, you know, who, which with whatever, whatever members are relevant, right? Like them going after, um, after Dante, cause he's chasing them on them trying to get justice for Dom. Right. Um, I think that like by the end of the movie, everybody's gonna be reunited, right? Dom and Brian are going to turn out to have been okay somehow. Right. Like maybe, maybe Mr. Nobody saves them or something. That's when he comes cause he's coming back at some point. Yeah. But, so this is my other cold shot. I think 11 is going to be about Ames. I think that is going to be about defeating Ames. There's going to be stuff with, cause I think Ames is related to Hobbs. Um, and there, and, uh, and like, if I, if I'm, if I'm thinking about what 11 is going to look like, 11 is going to look like Ames versus Hobbs in a way. Okay. Um, and then it's going to get the whole crew together and then they're all going to kind of like face down Dante in the final, final one. If they are doing this trilogy thing, which we don't know, I think they are, but we don't know. Um, and so, uh, that's, the, the, that's my, that's my called, my called shot is that 11 will focus on, on Hobbs. I don't, I don't think Dom is going to be out of the movie. I actually think it's going to do the thing where you have dramatic irony, where one, one side okay. of the team thinks that he's dead, but the, uh, but you are also going to be following Dom and Brian as they are, you know, 
hiding they're, they're, as they are on the run. Um, you know, like I don't, I don't think they're going to write Vin Diesel out of these movies. No, I, Obviously, he's got to be there, right? I, I agree. Um, um, but yeah. So I, I've got a couple more specific parts of this. I, I think. Okay. I think Dom and uh, and Brian meet up with Mister Nobody. That's like that's a little bit I'm less mm. confident about this, but I also so something I am I think that's going to turn out to be the case. And this is wild speculation, but I'm like fairly confident in it just because I think that's like the way these story beats go. Dante, Dante should have lost all of his money in that thing, right? Like, turns out, I think it's going to turn out that, like, the organization that's the villain in Hobbs and Shaw is going to be the people that have been funding Dante as kind of like a guided missile at Dom, right? Yep. Um, and Ames is going to be a member of that organization, right? He's going to be the Yeah, that was tissue. exactly what I was yeah. thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that I think that's what's going to, I think it's going to be, like, the thing, like, you know, Dante, like, you know, the, the organization is kind of the, the big bad behind Dante, right? Like, um, and, you know, I could see maybe, uh, no, I would say, like, maybe we could get, like, like a last minute, like, Dante peel face turn. Just kind of like a, turns out, like, the organization is responsible for something related to his father's death or something. But that's, like, that's more just kind of, like, me, like, doing kind of, like, trope casting rather than, like, having a basis in the plot. <coughs> but yeah um, the other thing I wanted to bring up that I keep forgetting about because I think she was forgettable I thought Brie Larson's acting wasn't great and I don't think her her role was particularly um, uh, impactful and her whole thing seemed to be she had spiky shoes so not a big fan um, I, I, I don't like I also didn't like uh, Captain Marvel that much but I don't have particular animus against Brie Larson like some people seem to but I just don't think she was great here Um uh, yeah, I agree. Especially because she was tied into this stuff with Letty, which I thought was all bad. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it's just like, yeah. m- maybe you could have sold me on this in a version of things where, I don't know, uh, she was doing better stuff than kind of getting lost in the sauce with uh, Letty and, and Cypher. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know what? I, I think maybe, like, the, the, like, I didn't think of this until you mentioned it, but I, it would not surprise me if all of that was like the 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 no longer existent female Fast X movie, right? Female female led Fast or not Fast X Fast yeah. Furious movie, right? Yeah, like for instance, I liked her in the Brazil stuff because she has God's eye, right? She yeah. has the uh, the thing, which is an important MacGuffin, right? Because it, it is you. This is when you find out that Dante, what Dante is really after, is he's really after Brian, um, and uh, the whole thing is a setup in order to get God's eye into Dante's hands. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty clever, uh, especially because you later learn that Ames, you know, it makes more sense in retrospect uh, that this whole thing was a setup because Ames is working on the inside right. and is the person who helps shepherd these things to, into the place where, you know, like where they go or whatever. Um, but, you know, so so that sort of speaks to her potential, but she doesn't actually do much there, right? Um, you know, uh, and so this is sort of why I think that she sort of doesn't doesn't get anywhere. I would be okay. I, there, there's been a couple of these people who have shown up, and I would like to me pitch them, write them out of the movie. I, they they showed little nobody again, for instance. I was like, I don't need this. And then he got, I guess he's like hospitalized or something. I don't know. I just I don't feel like I need any of this. Get rid oh, of it. That's I, what that would be. These would be my recommendations. I, I think so. I think little nobody and Ms. Nobody are redundant, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. like I am like, I, the more I talk about this, the more sure I am that like she was supposed to be like because she's because because the female led movie was supposed to be female led, she was supposed to be the nobody standing in that movie, right? Um, 
But I think that her and Little Nobody are going to be the people that, like, you know, wrest control of the agency back from Ames and whatnot, right? Like, that's going to be yeah. uh, a point, right? Like, um, and but that is going to be accompanied by, like, Kurt Russell showing up again, right? Like, um, because that's, uh, uh, like, he's definitely coming back, right? Like, like, you know, all the warriors, everybody's going back. Everything is coming back. I, I was joking on, on Twitter earlier. I said, you know... Um, Dom's going to fix a tank with a Coke can tab, and that's facetious. But I do think there's going to be some piece of large military hardware that gets used, right? Like, like at some point in the next two movies, right? Like, I think every kind of like big major, like that. That's like I think you're right that since the flipper car was on the plane, it's going to make an appearance. But it also could have just been like it's in the shot because it was in one of the movies. It needs to be in the movie again, right? Like, you know. Um, you know, uh, the the Tokyo Drift crew is going to come back at some point, right? Like, um, like I, I just think that, that that's got to happen, right? Like, um, there's no way. I don't it- know that I think the Tokyo Drift crew is going to come back. I think I feel I feel like maybe they just leave. You know, they were in F nine. That's good enough. I, I, kind of I, I, so I think the story doesn't demand it, but I think that what this project is demands it, right? Okay, like, you know, maybe, sure, fair um, enough. Like. They're the people, like, you know, they, they will be some minor but important role, right? Like, they're the people that, like, you know, help Dom and Brian when they're separated from everybody else or something, right? Like, um, that or, like, um, maybe, maybe we do another one of these split things, right? Like, Tej, Letty, um, or not Tej, Letty, Tej, Letty, Tej uh, Roman, and Ramsey, and Han. Actually, I think that's actually going to be it. Tej, Han, and uh, Roman, and uh, Ramsey all end up going to Tokyo and dealing with them, right? Like, Tej and Roman have a relationship with them now because, you know, they, they're the ones that flew them into space in Fast 9. Um, and Han obviously has history with them. Um, like, when they're still on the run in the second movie, my imag- I imagine that that's where they're going to end up. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I just don't think... Like, I don't think Vin Diesel lets anybody... Like, unless, like, you know... The actors are like, I want no part of this. I think he's going to do every single callback possible, um, even though they were in Fast Nine. I think that's, I think it's unavoidable. Especially, especially like, you know, I know that like, you know, it, it has like the Tokyo Drift stuff was just kind of like weird, a weird part of like the old style stuff. But like, I think Tokyo Drift has enough cult status to kind of like make that want to be a part of it, right? Like, um, like I don't think I'm the only. Do they person play that the would- Tokyo Drift song when they introduce them? I don't think so. I feel like the song. I feel like if they do go back to Tokyo and do Tokyo Drift stuff, they're gonna play the song. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, I I don't think I'm the only person. Um, and you know, I know I know a friend of the cast Akshay is Tokyo Drift is his favorite. But like, I don't think the two of us are the only people that really like Tokyo Drift. I think it's got like yeah. its own. No, I mean I also really like Tokyo Drift, so I'm I'm on board with you 100 percent of the way. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, 55-ish minutes. Do you want to talk about anything else? I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised you liked it this much. We, we, it's funny because we have done some podcasts where I say I liked a movie and then we just spend an hour shitting on it. <laughs> and I feel like I liked this movie about as much as I liked those movies, but we actually spent about an hour talking about the stuff that was pretty good, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think part of this is, like, not only did you get me bought in, but it's also, like... But in the way where I'm willing to turn my brain off for the movie, right? Like, 
Yeah, um, that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to appreciate this movie for what it is, which is a big, dumb, stupid action movie, which I'm, you know, I'm happy to enjoy on its merits. Um, mm. It has been, you know, you know, honestly, it has big, um, like himbo energy. Yeah, you know, because it's dumb in a very endearing way. It's not dumb in a cloying or annoying or like frustrating way. It's dumb in a way that's just like, oh my god, you're so cute. I Fast and Furious, come on, right? right. You know, like. <laughs> Right, like if this if this movie had a bunch of bathos in it, right, like I'd hate it, right, like you know. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right, <laughs> like yeah, and I think Jason Momoa, like, I think skated a little close to it. Like there was a point early in the movie where I thought he might have been doing a bathos thing, but it turns out the character's just crazy, and I think that you know that's what saves it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there is a version of this where like one of the characters like kind of like half turns to the camera. Like, like I think Roman got too close to this when he was like, it's like we're superheroes, right? We're invincible in Fast 9. Like, he, like, he, like, clo- like that, that was, like, the closest the movies got to, to, got to, like, you know, pointing a finger at the audience and being like, you're stupid for enjoying this, which is kind of like the, the, the worst version of the bathhouse thing, right? Yeah, um, and I will say, the flip side of this is that it also takes a lot of itself seriously in ways uh, so i'm reminded of doctor strange of the multiverse of madness right something i complained a lot about in that in that movie was how it made you feel stupid for caring right if you think that it's cool that doctor strange is going to fight baron mordo in the sequel that movie is making fun of you right um and there's a lot of that kind of stuff I i think it's actually true in a lot of marvel right there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on right um which is why it is neat in this movie that anytime that there's a moment of like we're tying this back to a previous moment in the franchise, that stuff is taken very seriously and is not, you know, undercut in the way that uh, or, or like, you know, I don't know. Undercut's a pretty good word for it, I guess, um, which feels good. Right. I care about these movies. I know the lore of these movies. Right. And it does not throw that in my face as a way to you know, score a cheap joke, right? You don't have a moment where someone makes fun of Dom for saying the street always wins, right? Because that moment is cool in the world of these movies. And it thinks that moment is cool and is not going to, you know, shit on you for, for, for thinking that moment is cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it does this in the right way, which is like Dante <coughs> shits on Dom not because Dom is wrong, but because it's a way that like Jason, that Dante can get an advantage over over Dom, right? Yeah. Like, um, like Dom's precious family is a weakness, not a thing to be like. It's it's a thing to be mocked in a villainous way, right? Like you know, the villain mocks the family, right? Not because it's dumb, but because that's what villains do, right? As opposed to like like you said, like you know, with some of this with the multiverse of madness, like you know. You might have, or like with the Marvel movie, you might have one of the heroes doing it, which is like the wrong way to do it, right? Like, yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, one hundred percent. I think I agree with you. Not my favorite of these movies, um, but I also am willing to give it a lot of leeway, right? Like, if this movie crashes and burns on the on the third movie, I will I will absolutely tear it down. Um, but I don't think we're there, so you know. Well, um, we'll see. Yeah. How was your week? How's life? How's it going? It's good. Uh, I played a lot of Breath of the Wild. Um, it's a really Wait, Breath of the Wild? Uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Or Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom, okay. thank you. Um, Breath of the Wild didn't grab me. Um, 
Tears of the Kingdom has enough of the sauce that it did. Um, uh, I there there are very few like there are very few games that like grab me like this. Um, and there are some. It's not a perfect game, but like it kind of hits me in a lot of not in the kind of like immersive way that Skyrim does, but in kind of like the oh, just one more thing that Skyrim does, right? Like it was like oh. I'm going to do this and then I'll go back to town and I'll be done. It's like, oh, but there's a cave right over there. So I'm going to go check that out and then I'll go back to cave, back to town and then I'll be done. Oh, but there's another thing over here and then I'll go back to town and then I'll be, I'll be done. Right? Like, um, that has happened to me many, many times in Breath of the Wild or in Tears of the Kingdom. Um, just kind of like the stuff that's scattered around, um, the ability to like kind of like do little bits of things and like feel satisfied, but like, you know, always wanting to do like one more quick little thing. Um, I think it's I think it's great, um, uh, and I would highly recommend it to anybody out there. Um, super high marks for me. Not enough to dethrone Odyssey as my favorite game on the Switch, but absolutely uh, two thumbs up for me. Um, but yeah, that has been the vast majority of my gaming time this week. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, the big thing for me um, is Hearthstone. Uh, I played a bunch of Hearthstone this weekend uh, because I wanted to. I wanted to hit Legend. I found a. I found a deck that is really compelling. It's a Warrior deck. Uh, the last time I hit Legend, it was with that Quest Hunter. I didn't really like that Quest Hunter deck, but Warrior is obviously my favorite class, right? And so I was like, I feel like I got to do it. And I, I hit into this niche with this with this one Enraged Warrior deck that was just super, super fucking fun. Um, and I, you know, I completed the climb. I guess, I, I guess I will say, I did a lot of climbing with other with other decks. Um, so I was playing another warrior deck for a while uh, that was called Menagerie Warrior. Uh, have I talked about Menagerie Warrior on the podcast? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So there, so there's, you know, there's not, warrior has not been doing great for a long time. It's been the the recipient of numerous buffs, right? Um, now I would say it's probably in a pretty like good spot overall, um, but a good spot in a way that like is good for right now it is number eight in the meta it used to be number 11 right it used to be the worst deck in the meta now it is eight out of 11 right so not bad not terrible kind of thing um but the actual warrior decks that you, like but there there are tier one warrior decks or i'm sorry there are tier two warrior decks both menagerie warrior and um uh, both Menagerie Warrior and Enrage Warrior are Tier 2 decks. Uh, Control Warrior is a Tier 3 deck, basically. Um, the problem with Warrior for a while has been that a lot of its niche kind of got siphoned out by um, Death Knight, right? So Death Knight, Blood Death Knight in particular, really sort of just does what Control Warrior traditionally does. In the sense that it outlasts you, plays big minions, right? Um... It kind of disrupts your 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 game plan or whatever, and that's 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 been a little bit of a frustrating thing to kind of like see, right? To see your favorite class lose all of its stuff, and another class that is new and popular get that stuff and be and be you know like really better, right? Um, one of the things about Death Knight right now that's so good is that it has no bad spells, like. All of its stuff is really useful. So discover effects, you know, things that are, that are creating value kind of from outside of your deck are really powerful. Warrior has a lot of bad stuff, 
right? Um, you know, for all of the for for every good spell, right? You know, uh, that you would want to cast something like shield block. You have two bad spells. Um, you know, there's a there's a spell called Clash of the Colossals. Um, Clash of the Colossals is a card that adds a random minion a random big minion to your hand and your opponent's hand. You are literally giving your opponent value. I'm like, why would I ever fucking want to do this? This is a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's, and, and you know, there's other options that are like that, right? Like the value of the discover pool is pretty low for warrior right now. But um, the interesting thing uh, is you in, it has a couple of redundant things that make it, that make it, better than other classes, one of which it has access to a lot of card draw. So you can actually make really powerful, consistent decks in kind of more more consistent decks than most other decks in the format, right? Um, because they're, they they added a number of cards that are just draw two cards, draw a couple of cards. Maybe Druid is uh, only has a better card draw in, in sort of the format. Um, and what I eventually realized was there was a mid-range in Rage Warrior package that's really compelling. Um, Enrage Warrior is a warrior package that's about damaging your whole board of minions uh, in order to activate special effects. One of the big ones is that there's an axe um, called Imbued Axe that says when, you're, when your hero attacks, buff all of your minions by plus one, plus two, right? Or plus two, plus two, if it's powered up kind of thing. Um, and so the thing that you do is you play a Wild Pyromancer, you cast a spell, you have a big board, the Wild Pyromancer does one damage to everything, and then you attack with your axe, and everything puffs up by by a bunch, right? And the question is, can you, can you combine that with a consistent enough package to make threatening boards over time? And the answer is yeah, because Warrior has this weird token package that are, that are present in spells, um that allow you to do this kind of on these turn five, turn six for just like insane tempo swings. Um, and I just got really good at, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I just connected with this deck in, in an insane way. My legendary run with quest hunt with quest hunter was 25 game winning streak, right? I went, or I'm sorry. It was, it was like 21 game winning streak. I was 25 and three, um, when the winning streak really ended. And then I spent about 40 games in, high diamond before I broke into legend with that deck, right? With the Enrage Warrior deck, I I basically sailed all the way up to legend uh, with two different versions of the deck in about um, 40 games. In 30, It took me 37 games in order to get from... Uh, uh, where's my, like, history? Is it replays? The fuck did... Yeah, okay, we can we can we can chart this out. Okay, so we got all the way up to Okay, so I got to Diamond 10 with Menagerie Warrior. Um but I basically got all the way through Diamond uh from Diamond 8 to Legend with Enrage Warrior in that 37 games. Um which means my and my win rate on on that deck was pretty obscene. Uh, the first version of the deck had a 60% win rate. The second version of the deck had an 80% win rate. I think I probably went, I don't know, 20, uh, 28 or 29 and like seven or something like that. Whatever, whatever those, like those numbers kind of end up being. Um, 
And that just, I don't know, feels good. Really proud of that, to be honest, uh, as as an achievement, I guess, which is, I guess, is sort of why I'm 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 gushing about it a little bit. Um, so yeah, this is a really weirdly good Hearthstone format. I didn't love this format in the beginning of the year uh, when it when it first kind of rolled around, but now that these buffs have kind of happened, nerfs to some problematic decks have happened. Uh, I think this format right now is a lot of fun um and now that i'm in legend i have just started fucking around with other decks that are stupid and fun because i find them stupid and fun there is a um there's a pirate rogue deck that's really dumb uh pirate rogue has this thing where um they have a they have a, a pirate called captain hook tusk and if you play eight pirates in the game and then play captain hook, hook tusk you can do a couple of things you can steal cards out of your opponent's hand you can steal cards out of your opponent's deck actually um and playing a low-to-the-ground pirate deck that has Hook Tusk in it, and then a lot of discover effects that allow you to find more Hook Tusks, um, is insanely stupid and fun. I have never had more fun playing, like, Hearthstone than just, like, this super, this super stupid... That's not true. I've had way more fun playing Hearthstone. But I've had a lot of fun recently playing Hearthstone, playing this really stupid, dumb deck, because you just play, like, two or three Hook Tusks. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And keep yoinking their shit, which is just, it's just satisfying. Um, uh, yeah, and, you know, I don't know. That's it. That's that's my that's my Hearthstone. Did they, uh, this is a good format. It's fun. Did they rebuff that card that you were talking about last week, like, from the depths or whatever? Yes, they rebuffed from, they, they made two changes to Warrior that were good, but one was great, which was, one was from the depths, which funnily enough was not good enough for me to run. I didn't run it in my Enraged Warrior package, but I'm probably going to start experimenting with a Control Warrior package. My guess is Control Warrior is still going to be th like rank three, uh, like a tier three, a tier three deck, but I think I'm going to be able to do cool things with it, and so we'll just sort of see. Um, the... Yeah, so yes, they did They did buff from the depths. It's now back to a three mana card, but it only reduces other mana costs by two, which means that it just gives you, like, part of the problem with Warrior has been you don't, you don't have good stuff to do on turns like two and three, right? Um, one of the things that makes Enrage Warrior so good is the axe is so important, and the axe is a three mana card that a lot of your game plan is about getting the axe and playing the axe on, like, doing a setup turn on, like, okay, reason i call that a mid-range deck turns one two three are mostly about setup for turns four five six popping off right what you're looking to do you're not looking to hit the board when, when i'm playing the, the the menagerie deck the menagerie deck is about seizing initiative on the board and then just kind of running that running that deep um, until you play your big finishers, which are these one amalgam barons, right? Um, and you have this sort of side game of trying to find and copy as many one amalgam bands as possible because that's the biggest, most powerful card you're going to get, right? This is the card that gets all of the archetypes, right? Gets stealth, wind fury, lifesteal, poison, like all, all, of, all of that shit, right? Um, that is an aggressive deck because you are looking to steal the board from turn one and hold it into your kind of game-winning turns, which are going to be, you know, five, six, seven, when you're going to be able to drop your kind of top end um, and close out by playing powerful one amount, 
one of Malcolm Pans. Um, though the the enraged deck is not about that. The enraged deck wants you to set up on turns one, two, and three. Right? You want to play minions that your opponent doesn't want to attack. There's an egg called Foul Egg, which is just a one mana zero two, but when it dies, it spawns a zero three. Right? It's really good for the enraged package because you're dealing damage to your own shit. So the egg itself can be damaged and then buffed by the axe, for instance, but it can also just be destroyed. Right? But really what it's there for is you play it on turn one and your opponent doesn't want to spawn a 3-3 for you. So they just leave it there for four turns, right? And then you, when you when you do want to do your big swing turn, your big tempo turn, right? Where you're going to buff everything with the axe. That's like to turn four, turn five. The egg is probably still just sitting there ready to do that, right? Um, and the other thing that you're doing is you're playing stuff like instrument tech, uh, which draws a weapon out of your deck. Um, so instrument tech is just a two mana card, draws your weapon, and you play the weapon on three. That's like a perfect curve for this deck. You play foul egg, you play instrument tech you play the weapon and then on turn four turn five that's when you're looking to really like go hard you're going to you're going to pop off you're going to drop a wild pyromancer you're going to drop a bridge riff and spawn two tokens you're going to you're going to damage everything on the board you're going to start swinging with the weapon and you're going to be making these huge boards kind of over and over again until you get the win kind of thing um and so um my expectation is that in another version of the deck that is less about the enrage package and is probably more about big stuff package, um, the from the depths is going to help a lot because from the depths by reducing the mana cost, it allows you to run a higher top end without getting punished so hard for it. Um, and so in a version of that deck, being able to spend, you know, maybe turn one, you'll instrument tech, maybe turn three, you'll, you know, um, you'll from the depths and pull a big card and, and you'll be able to tempo that card a little bit faster, right? You're playing a six mana card on turn four, that kind of a thing. Uh, that's, that's kind of the hope, but we'll see. I haven't, I haven't toyed around with that deck. Um, I, I want to, I want to do some proper experimentation. That's probably where I'm going to go, you know, fuck around next, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, on my end, I have been playing a bunch of Marvel snap as well. Um, speaking of card games and, uh, something that interesting that happened was, um, for their seasonal pass, um, one of their quests was like play uh, a deck with Star Lord in it, um, which was a thing I I'm not super happy about just from like a, a kind of like design point of view because like there I don't think there's been like a season that's like or like a, a seasonal quest that's been like play the specific cards. There's been a lot of kind of like play certain things around it, but um, I was originally going to slot Star Lord into like one of my existing decks, just kind of like a you know I could maybe sacrifice a card that didn't do much, but I was like no let me let me actually play around. The Guardians. So the way the Guardians work in Marvel Snap is um, their on-reveal effects are that um, uh, if someone has played a card opposite that card at that location, you get a buff, right? Like So like Rocket Raccoon is a 1-2, gets plus 2 power um, if, if, uh, if on-reveal somebody's played a card there this turn. Um, uh, Star-Lord is 2-2 two, two, plus 3, and there's a bunch of them, right? Um, and I had kind of abandoned them early on because it's like, oh, it's it's kind of like not guaranteed value, right? Like, um, uh, you know, and there are other cards in in those kinds of slots that like have guaranteed effects. Like, um, I don't really want to play these, but since I had to play it, I thought like, well, what do I do to make sure that I'm getting value out of these cards? And there are like location control cards that can kind of do this for you, right? The big ones for me right now are Storm, which is a 3-2 that says um, there's one more term left and then you can't play cards at this location anymore. There's a pretty good forcing job at like, you know, somebody's probably going to play a card there on the turn that they have left so you can play a, a Guardian there to like get their boost off. Um, then there's Professor 
um, Professor X, which is a five drop, and he's expensive. He's five three, um, but he totally locks down a location, which doesn't do anything directly, but it limits where um, in the future cards can be played, right? So you know, um, uh, you know that like if you play a card, uh, or that if if you play Professor X, that like it, you've got a fifty fifty shot instead of a one third shot um, if somebody plays a card. Um, and then there's Spider-Man, which similarly, he's a 4-3 that, like, locks out the, the area for your opponent next turn, which, you know, I have won a handful of games off of, you know, Spider-Man into Professor X to lock down a location, that means I win that location, and then, like, you know, um, either a Gamora, or I'll have something else on the board, and, like, my, my, my six drop is Odin, which reactivates on reveals, which is great, because it's, like, towards the end of the game, it's usually pretty clear where the fight's gonna be. Um, that are like people are playing like a spread with like a bunch of things. So like you you drop Odin on a place with Guardians, and like the Guardians reactivate their thing. And if somebody's played a card there, you get a bunch of uh, you get a bunch of free power. Um, and so that's been super compelling for me, right? Like I have um, it is not my like I go back and forth between that and my like my classic favorite hate deck, which is a deck built around Kingpin. Um, Kingpin uh, is a three four that on turn six. Um, Anything that moves here gets destroyed, and then I have a bunch of like move your opponent's cards effects. Um, uh, that deck is <laughs> this really sounds like a you deck. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a harder deck to pull off, just because you know um, you need to simultaneously have people like not play cards opposite Kingpin. That way, there are slots to move things to, um, and have like a setup to pull things to that location. Unfortunately, like. I often end up winning off the other aspects of the deck just because, like, you know, um, the kingpin part tends to be a little bit a little bit to win more, right? Like, you know, like the capstone for that deck is a, is Magneto 612 move all three or four cost cards to this location, uh, opposing, opposing three or four cost cards to this location. That'll kill a bunch of stuff, but, like, you know, there's not always space for it. There's not always a thing that pulls it. And also, pulling a thing does not guarantee that, like, you know, that, like, more often than not, I would have won the position anyway and the part... part the place I'm pulling from doesn't necessarily benefit from having stuff pulled from it. So, you know, um, there's a lot of jiggery pokery there too. Anyway, that's like, you know, still fun to play around with. It's, it's, it's a, the rest of the deck, um, that isn't like built around that stuff is, is me just being an asshole to the other player, right? Like things that are increasing costs or, um, causing other people to like, uh, have to like move around me, which is fun, but like, it does not, it's not, it's not as much success as the guardians deck. And the guardians deck is fun to me because, um, there's still like that interactive element and it's still like screwing with other people a, a bunch. Whereas like, you know, the other decks I like to play sometimes are like, um, there's a couple of decks that I run that are based around destruction effect, destroying your own creatures. And those creatures either give you benefits or like the cards that are destroying the creatures have benefits. Um, uh, and so those are fun, but they kind of, they can be kind of like so solitaire E. Um, uh, so I don't like them quite as much, but um, it's still, uh, it's, that's that's kind of like what I do, um, in between things, right? Like that's that's my kind of uh, you know downtime. You know, it's game. funny that the concept of a win more card really frustrated me when it uh, when I like learned of it, right? Um, and I get how does how do there's no mulligan in no. Marvel Snap. You just get what you get, right? That's yeah. interesting. One of the things I learned with the Enrage Warrior deck, because I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to a podcast called the Vicious Syndicate Podcast, which is like really high-level players talking about really high-level Hearthstone. And one of the things that they uh, they were talking about, people, people will make fun of this. They'll say, draw better 
is a good way to win 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 more games, right? Oh, my opponent just drew better, right? Which has happened. I got yeah. I've been blown out. You know, there are some decks that are you know we call them scam decks because they're basically just looking for a high roll, right? And they scam games if they get their high roll. I've been on the other side of that. I've been on the on, on the on the side of that before, right? Um, but a recommendation that that they they gave in that podcast that I thought was really interesting was they were just like mulligan more aggressively. Something that bad players do is they settle for less, right? Right. They say, "Oh, I see a turn one. I see a turn two. I see a. I see a turn three. Right. Um, the, I'm okay." Right with with his hand or whatever, and it's like no 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 no. You should not be keeping these cards, right? You should mulligan hard for your best cards, right? Um, and that's something I learned about the Enrage Warrior deck. I was like, you know what? The axe is the, my most is my most important tool, right? I need the axe in order to set up these boards. I'm gonna mulligan hard for the axe. I'm gonna mulligan hard for Thor Balore, just a powerful legendary. I'm gonna mulligan hard for Bridge Riff, right? The big token creator. Um, I'm gonna mulligan hard for Anima Instruct uh, Extractor, right? Every time a minion of yours deal, it receives damage, um, it buffs a card in your hand by plus one, plus one. And it's like, you know, some of these games, some of those games are, in a certain sense, scam games, right? Because I'm able to drop an axe on turn three. On turn four, I can do, you know, just powerful things, dropping an, an anima extractor, a token thing, that, uh, uh, something that'll skipper the whole board, right? Pyromancer the whole board, buff stuff in my hand by plus five, plus five, right? And, like, that stuff is only possible because I'm drawing my most powerful cards and I'm mulliganing aggressively for my most powerful cards. Um, and I think that there's a real tension beat. But, but so interesting about that, though. I was reading the guy, the guy who showed me this list on Reddit, right? Uh, people were like, Anima Extractor seems like a really powerful card. Is it like a combo piece and I hold it until I can use it? Or do I play it on turn two on an empty board? And his response was, spend your mana, which I thought was very clever, right? <laughs> it's just like, you know what? Don't sit there and wait for these perfect plays, right? Just spend your mana, right? Put put pressure on the board. Who cares? If it gets if it gets removed, if it gets killed, that sucks, sure, but whatever. You force the uh, uh you know, you had initiative. You forced the piece of removal out of your opponent. They did not develop tempo that turn. <coughs> that's that's good for you kind of thing. And I feel like that's a tough thing for any of these kind of card games, right? Um we look at the perfect scenario, right, where Kingpin, I guess, you know, the Kingpin Magneto goes off and you just, like, blow your opponent out. Um, but most of the times, you're playing towards win plus one, right? Yeah. You know, dealing enough damage to your opponent that you win the game and no further because you don't need any excess damage doesn't fucking matter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that, that, like that's my like when I'm thinking about like win more stuff or whatever. That's like the hard thing to to I don't know get across. Yeah, um, and Marvel stuff also works a little bit strange, right? Because like you can get some like weird like turn six swings just because like you know that's I feel like that's part of how the game's designed. Um, mm. uh, but uh, to your to your point, like there's no mulligan in Marvel Snap, but I think the mulligan is supposed to be retreating, right? Like. If your opponent snaps on you and you don't think you can beat it, retreat, right? Like, take the L and only lose one point and, like, come back and win a game where you can win, right? Like, um, uh, and also, like, the, the flip side of that is also knowing when to, like, hit the snap button, right? Like, mm -hmm. knowing when to, like, take your wins when you can get them. Even if the, your, your opponent retreats in the face of it and you only get a point, like, you know, it's better to lock that in than to leave it up to, to, to chance, right? Like, 
Um, I am not the best Marvel Snap player. The number of times I have lost because I forgot that Doom is a card, right, is uh, too many. Um, Doom is a 6-5 that, like, spawns Doom bots at the other two locations. Um, Doom bots are also 6-5s, but, like, the 6 doesn't matter because they're free. Um, and, like, you know, that gets around a lot of stuff, right? Like, that, get, like, that doesn't get around uh, the lockdown from Professor X, but it does get around... Um, the storm lockdown because the storm just doesn't let you play a card there, right? If there are ways to move around it, um, uh, but like that's uh, you know it's it's that's why I find it so compelling because it's about like kind of like reads, right? Like it's it's um, and it's about like knowing how to like make force things to work. Like the best I feel is like a turn six, like like I've had several times for like turn six, no one can do anything because like. I've locked down two of the locations and the third location was like a location that locks itself down at some point. Um, and I've won, right. And I'm sitting there and I just hit the snap button. Cause I know my opponent's going to retreat cause he can't do anything. Uh, but I hit the snap button just to kind of like rub it in a little bit. And then he retreats. Right. Like, um, cause they, you know, like I kind of wish I had a snap button cause there is stuff like that. I, I agree with you. Reads are the most fun about all of this, right? Like part of what made the enrage warrior deck so fun is that I had really good reads on opponents sometimes. Um, for instance, there's one there was one game I'm just intensely proud of this. So Blood Death Knight is the big control deck in the meta. There's two. There's Blood Control Priest and Blood Death Knight, right? These are the big control decks in the meta that are generally win conditionless cards, right? But uh, or decks, uh, and they're just looking to kind of exhaust you of resources, clear all of your shit over and over and over again, right? So Blood Death Knight has medium level removal and high level removal their high level removal might be something like soul stealer which is an eight mana five five comes into play destroys everything on the board right um but their medium level removal is very built on um it's very built on damage right uh so they have one which is corpse explosion which deals one damage and spends one corpse until everything on the board is dead um so it just like is a big aoe that's one damage one damage one damage one damage and then the other one is blood boil which puts a essentially a dot on all of your creatures that says at the end of your turn this takes two damage and you gain two life right it's like two damage with life steal and a proxy at the end of the turn and I got so good at these fucking reads against Blood Death Knights where I would drop an Anima Extractor on turn five on a powerful board, right? And so what they would do is they would sit there and I'm, I, I'm like, you know you want to clear this board. You want a corpse explode, right? But if you fucking corpse explode, my Anima, my anima Extractor is going to get, not even joking, 60 ticks, right? You know, like I have a board of five things, right? Each one of those is going to take... One damage six times the end before the anima extractor expires or whatever. You are going to buff my hand to fucking oblivion, right? And it's just so satisfying to do that because they do that, and then I play, you know, Ramornia. Ramornia is a is a is a minion. This is like it's actually Cytonathrius' sword, right? Um, Ramornia is a minion. When you attack with it, it becomes a weapon with it with that stats. And then when you attack with the weapon, it becomes a minion again. Um, and so a big win condition for this deck sometimes is you make a 20 power Remornia, play it, it attacks something, and then you attack their face with a 20 power weapon, right? <coughs> and just like making those reads, ah, oh, oh, it, it feels so good. Though there are also times where, you know... There are times when you play stuff and you're like, if they have X, I lose. And then they have X and you're like, okay. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I rolled the dice and I got snake eyes. That's fair enough. That, that, that is actually part of what I like about 
Marvel stuff. They're like, um, friend of the cast, Zhao, posted like a, a short video about like, you know, making people feel good about like, re- like, you know, when you hit retreat, you escape rather than lose, right? Like, you know, and it makes you feel like you got a little win. And like, it's like, I'll throw down a Professor X and I'll be like, I'm banking on them not playing anything here this turn because it's not like a high value card in itself. I'm just going to lock down this location and like that'll be like part of my win con. And uh, they'll play something opposite and now I'm locked out of it too and I can't win that and the board's fucked. It's like, okay, well, I'm out. Retreat, right? Like, um, and you know, that's that sometimes that sucks, but like, you know, that's 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 part of why I like about Snap, right? Like, the games are short, right? Like, they're like three to four minutes a piece. And, like, you know, you, you get a minor win by not losing is hard, right? Like, you know. Um, so, you know, I uh, I really enjoy that. So, that's, uh, yeah, that's been a lot of what I've been doing. Um, I don't have a lot of other media, I don't think, to talk about just because that's... I went I went to the New Hampshire Renaissance Fair this weekend, um, which is not a huge one, but it was fun. Um, saw a bunch. Was about, that, yeah, that's good. We went to the Renaissance Fair. Wait, did I tell you about this? Yeah, you the Renaissance I, Fair two um, weekends ago. I don't know if you you talked about it in the sense that you were <laughs> playing Zoetti at it. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I brought the Switch, and uh, you know, I didn't actually, I didn't actually play Zoetti for all that much. But like, we were like waiting, you know, for like lunch or whatever. Honestly, we were pretty depressed by the Ren Fair. Um, in LA recently just because it's big and it's huge, which is, which is nice. Um, but I guess I'm just a little less interested, um, in, uh, uh, the like crafts and stuff. Um, I don't know. Rachel told me a pretty depressing story about how like half of the rings that they were looking at, um, were like rings that you could buy in China for a dollar, you know? Um, and that like you could just get shipped to your to your house. It was like looking at the same shit and paying sixty dollars for that because someone's paying it playing it off like, oh, I'm some, you know, medieval artisan. It's like, no, that's fucking like I'm all for the RP, but I'm not gonna RP fifty nine dollars of profit for you. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Like there were a but like there were a handful of like the New Hampshire one isn't super huge, it's in like a farm um, it's like on like a, a farm field somewhere. Um, but there were a handful of tents that all had like the, 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 like the, the bone drinking horns, which are clearly like some sort of molded plastic. And they looked similar. like, and I, I couldn't find it on AliExpress, but it's like, they're definitely mass ordering this and like selling it at a markup. Right. Like, um, so maybe I'll go look for it, but there, there are also like you know, things that were clearly handmade, right? Like, my girlfriend bought a flower circlet that was clearly made by somebody, right? Like, um, uh, and, like, I think the smaller Ren Fairs tend to get a little bit more of that just because, like, you know, no, like, the big players aren't going to the, the small Ren Fairs, right? Like, it's, you know, it's the fun little... And there's also, like, there was, like, there was, like, jousting. There was, like, a magic show. There was somebody playing a liar, right? There was... Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't, like... To hate on furries, there was this dude, and it was I don't, I don't even know if I should call him a furry because he wasn't in like a fursuit. He was in like a skin tight tiger suit. It was like an older dude, right? Like he looked like if you like brought like Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs to life, um, and like with like orange face paint, and like he like thankfully he was wearing he was clearly wearing undergarments of some some sort because you you would have been able to tell if he wasn't, right? Mm. But like it was just like holy shit, what are you doing here, right? Like, you are not medieval. You're just, like, a tiger man that looks, like, that's dressed way too revealingly in this, like, skin suit, right? Like, 
But, you know, I guess it's the type of people you get at rent fairs, right? Is weirdos, which is, you know, my type of people. Um, there, sure. there was, like, this couple that was, like, dude, like, 3D printed his own minis and, like, was selling, like, a DM beginner box. And, like, you know, it was, like, this is really cute, right? Like, I could see myself, you know, a future version of me doing this on weekends is, like, setting up a booth at a rent fair and selling my custom D&D minis, right? Like, that's super fun. Yeah. Um, oh, that is something that did happen. So uh, I told you about Tailspire, right? Yes, like, yeah, yeah. How, how because you were like you were the Kickstarter. <laughs> it was very cool. We we just did we just did some sort of like low level normal RP. I'm very proud of it though. Um, you know, because the so the idea is we're playing during the time of Warcraft three, um, where uh, you know one of the things that happens is Arthas comes back from Northrend with Frostmourne. He kills his father in Capital City. Um, plunges the whole city into chaos, right? He's now a death knight, uh, and he unleashes this scourge upon Lord Aran, um, and the whole thing co collapses, right? And so what we're doing is we're playing this tank crew, this dwarven tank crew. We are in Quel'Thalas, right, which is the the, the home of the, the High Elves, later Blood Elves. Um, and the idea is, you know, we are going to be on this, like, journey home where we have to where we have to scavenge and survive as the undead have just collapsed the military structure and society all, all around us but obviously this is before all of that um but the thing that i'm really excited for is uh when the game first started um rachel was like okay like what are you guys doing and i immediately asked the question i was like okay well there's me and then there's warren who are playing the two dwarves right i'm playing Maznar cliffgrove who's the gunner warren is playing shroom who is the um uh, the tank commander, right? But there's obviously, there's going to be a driver, there's going to be an engineer on our tank crew, right? Um, we know that Mard and Lou, our other friends, Mard playing a high elf spellbreaker, Lou playing a human priest, um, are going to end up being the engineer and driver in the tank crew as like things turn to shit or whatever. But for now we have two NPCs and I was like, I'm just going to like build some fucking pathos. So I was like, what are the, what are the two other tank crew member names? And Rachel was like, okay, one is this one is that. Um, and I think the girl's name was like, like Friedrich or whatever, but she was a girl and I was like, Oh my God, I have the perfect thing. And so I just immediately started doing this RP where Maznar who has, I have tanked charisma on, on Maznar, um, in very against type for me, not playing a charisma, like a character who has enough charisma in order to be like a leader of the team or whatever. And Maznar is, um, is hopelessly in love with her. Right. But is too shy and awkward to actually kind of make anything happen. Um, but, I, but you know that she's going to, like, she has to die, right? Or something, because the tank crew is going to have to be this other thing. Um, and so, <laughs> excuse me. And so I'm just very proud of that. You know, like, it's, it's just fun doing, like, little things that help move the story forward and give your, I, I think of this stuff as kind of like, uh, like covering yourself in Velcro and you can just stick to anything. Yeah. Right? Giving, uh, giving, like covering yourself into story glue. Right. Giving the GM hooks to exploit. Right. Like if, uh, yeah, if they yes, want you. exactly. Right. Very cool. You know? Yeah. Um, that's super cool. I, 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 I wrote that. a bunch of, I wrote a bunch of tank mechanics. We can, we can talk about it. We're out of time now, but yeah. I wrote a bunch of tank mechanics. I'm pretty excited about, um, I think I found a good kind of track with them. Uh, we'll see. I'll let you, yeah, I'll, maybe, I'll, maybe. I'll, I'll keep you all upgraded. We, we, it's been a while since we've done a D and D episode. That might be a fun thing to do is like go over them. Right. Like, and I can offer yeah. my scathing critiques and, or effusive phrase depending. Um, yeah, true. But yeah. Um, but you're right. We are out of time. So we'll save that for another time. Um, 
I'm going to say, or do, do uh, if you want to email us about any of the things we talked about on this podcast, email us dirtsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast.dirtsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash dirtsplaygames or youtube.com slash at some dirtsplaygames where these go live. Um, uh, rate review us on podcast places. That's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? Um, I, I don't, I know. Uh, no. Yeah, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. All right. Well, in that case, until next time, your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.